Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. Before I jump into my message, um, first of all, I want to remind you guys that our youth uh, are not meeting in the, any, more, any longer in the month of September, but starting October on Wednesday nights. I'm extremely excited about this. Uh, our youth will be meeting on Wednesday nights during our Wednesday night service. Uh, they'll have their own youth group meeting. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled about the curriculum we've got for them. I'm thrilled about the group of teachers that we've got that are going to be teaching them. And so our youth will be meeting starting the first Wednesday night in October, October 4th. That is also the first Wednesday night in October, our, first, our, our fall worship night. And so normally I'm teaching on Wednesday night, but we're going to have a full-blown worship night that night where it's just, just worship. The service is committed to that. So uh, I would encourage you, come on out, bring your teens out. Let them have their youth group meeting while you just get your praise on, and it should be a good time together uh, October 4th. And then also, uh, just want to remind you, I bring it up every week, the Meet Friends Board is out in the lobby. Uh, there are activities out there in which you can participate. Carolyn Cecil has a class out there where she's teaching on how to be a, a disciple, and she changed the time of that to a Wednesday morning time frame to accommodate a few folks who didn't want to come out at night. And so if you're interested in that class, I mean, Carol's aw- uh, Carolyn's awesome. She travels and teaches and preaches to people, and we love her. And so um, if you, we want to support her. So uh, if you want to be a part of that, go ahead and make yourself and avail yourself to that. And then also, just don't forget our Wednesday evening services. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on there. We're teaching on healing, building our faith to just stand and believe God and walk in divine health. Amen? All right. Uh, I want to jump into uh, uh, the series that um, I've been teaching on for the last six weeks, and it's just simply titled, Love. Uh, And so John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35 is our foundational text, and we're going to read that and then just trust God and pray together, then we'll jump into what he has for us. John chapter 13, verse 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you, or that ye, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. First of all, for your great love towards us and your faithful love that I believe you just spoke to our hearts about during our worship. Thank you for the love we experience amongst ourselves as we just share our friendships and conversations. But I ask you now for the power of your Holy Spirit to rest upon me to enable me to do what I can't do myself. I ask the Holy Spirit to rest upon each person here to open eyes and unveil and unfold the truth of your word so that we grow and change and become more like Jesus. That we become the lights to the world that you've called us to be. And so I just give you praise and thanks for that taking place, and I thank you by the end of the service today, we will be able to say, I'm better because I came to church today. I give you praise and thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, I've said this every week, and I will say it every week, that we've stressed that we're teaching on this subject of love and that this subject of love is the greatest subject that we can learn as a believer, it is the greatest thing we can pursue in our lives. It is the greatest thing we can attain to, knowing and showing God's love to others. And we see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9. It says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write unto you. So what's he saying there? He's saying, you guys are already walking in love. Look at your neighbor and say, I just love the way you love me. <laughs> You know, I I really believe that. I believe we're growing together as a body of believers, and we are growing into the image of what God's love should be. So this is not, uh, not, we're not harping on this because you're not loving people. 
But what he says here, he says, he says I'm writing this to you, I, I don't need to, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren. I mean, we showed that out last week in the offering we gave to bless a fellow church member that was in need. But it goes on to say, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And so what that verse says is it says that we can grow in love, that we haven't arrived yet. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't arrived yet either. See, you haven't arrived yet. What does that mean? That means that there's always growth that can take place in us. There's always areas we can grow in, especially in the love of God. There is growth that can take place, and that growth requires change. When we're growing, it requires change. You know, um, uh, you know, I was looking at, you know, my, my uh, Delisa's gra- grandmother, great-grandmother, actually. No, your grandmother. Delisa's grandmother's redoing her bathroom, right? Well, how many of you realize uh, when you redo a bathroom, you're yanking stuff out, you know, you're putting stuff in. It's uncomfortable sometimes, right? Because you're not quite, you don't, how many of you realize you don't get the instant result the minute you start working on it? There's work to be done. And so when we're talking about growing in the love of God, this is going to, re- it requires us to hear these messages from a heart that says, Lord, I am willing to change. I am willing to not be the same person that I was before I heard what I'm about to hear. It, goes, it says that in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, And all of us, because we continue to behold in the word of God as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. That says that as we look into who he is and we understand who his love is, it says it's transfiguring us if we'll make the choice to make those changes. It's challenging us to forgive and turn the other cheek. We've talked about that, right? To forgive and turn the other cheek. It's challenging us to put others' desires before our own. You know, the Bible says love considers others. That means, you know, I think about, think about this and how contrary this is to the way maybe you live or maybe the world is, right? But it says love considers others. This, this, this uh, series we're teaching on is challenging us to think of others first, right? So I would ask yourself the question, how much are you thinking about your stuff and how much are you thinking about others' stuff as you're living your life, Right? Because I would say most of our lives revolve around me and getting mine and me being happy and me satisfying myself. But what if, what if, we, what if we really changed as a group of believers and, 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 and the people that surround our lives, our church members, our family members, our first thought was, I wonder if I'm pouring into them what they need. I wonder if I'm, am I living my life in a way that I am blessing them first. I'm not thinking about me. What would happen if we all just made that our priority? I will tell you what would happen. We would be, I mean, a a, a brilliant light in the lives of those individuals. Why? Because we'd be pouring in and blessing them. And so so what this verse is saying is it says, and we can be changed. And so it's challenging us to put others first. It's challenging us to think about our actions and can truly consider how our actions impact others. It challenges us to, uh, to pull back mean and hurtful words, right? When we want to, you know, how many of you ever had, I mean, I had a situation like that this morning in the white church. Wanted to spit out some mean and hurtful words for somebody who was driving really slow. But I realized her time might be more important than my time. You know what? Four or five weeks ago, maybe six or seven weeks ago, I might not have done that. But love is challenging me to change even in the little areas of my life. And I don't know about you, but um, I, this is refreshing for me. 
This has been extremely refreshing for me, and I hope it is for you, because it's really interesting. When you apply God's principles to life, you know, you know it's not like a, a, a scientific equation, you know, you know, or a mathematical equation, you know, A plus B you know, equals C, or one plus one equals two. It's just not like that with God. A lot of times it'll be do this and do this, and this out here will happen. You don't even see how it's connected. But what I find to be true is this, is that as I'm walking and changing and saying, Lord, change me, help me love better, you know, I'm looking at how I'm interacting with people, but all of a sudden, I got more peace. Life, the, 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 the pressure of life just seems to be exiting my life. Why? Because the focus of my life ain't about me anymore and all the things that I get, could worry about or fret about. It's about loving and, and blessing and being a blessing to others. Now, I got to tell you, I got to work on that on Saturdays because I like watching my college football and my wife hates college football. So I had to get up and take her to get some ice cream even though I wanted to watch the JMU game. And I did. And I got back in time to still see the game, but she got her ice cream right? See, we need to, even in the little things in life, we need to be willing to to let love dominate our lives. Now today, and we've been talking about a lot of different aspects of love, and hopefully it's been as refreshing for you as it has been for me, but today I want to talk about another aspect we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready to change. Do you mean that this morning? Man, I got to tell you, I, I am so thrilled to be pastoring a church where people mean that right? You, got, you, you know, I remember, remember when I was in Bible school, I had a, I had a, a, I mean, I had a little old, his name was Doc Horton. You probably heard me describe him before if you've been here a long time, but he's about this tall, but he weighed about 300 pounds. <laughs> and he was from South Georgia and he had a good old South Georgia voice was like this when he talked and he taught, right? And he used to always, when he was teaching, you know, he'd start his class and he'd do, do this to us. And we were like, finally somebody said, what are you doing that for? And he said, well, let me tell you the story behind my fist. He said, you know, um, he said, uh, um, you know, when I was a kid growing up, um, we had this goat that lived in a goat patch. And I would walk up to the fence where the goat was, and I'd put my hand through the fence, and I'd turn my fist like this to the goat. And right as he came running to hit my hand, I'd pull it out, and he hit that fence, and I thought it was the funniest thing. And so I do that to you guys to remind you to not be a bunch of goat heads, right? When you hear it, do it. Don't keep doing the same thing and keep running into the same old fence. Why? Because i got to tell you, you keep living like you're living, you're going to keep getting what you get. And it may be good in some areas, but it can only get better when you do it Jesus' way. Amen? Uh, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1 says, Now about food, sacrifice to idols. It seems like we're setting up something else, but just, we'll get to it. Now, now about food, sacrifice to idols, we know that we, that we, know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge, now this is the part I want you to notice. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, what is Paul talking about there in 1 Corinthians 8? Uh, Let me set this up a little bit. See, Paul was talking about a situation in the church where um, people were actually arguing over whether you could eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. You know, folks would sacrifice something to an idol, and then out behind the idol place, there would be uh, a meat market where they'd sell that meat. And, and there were Christians buying that meat and eating it. And some people were like, well, you can't be eating that because it was sacrificed to idols. That's ungodly. That's unholy. And others were like, well, no, Jesus redeemed it. I prayed over it so I can eat it and I can bless it. And people were butting heads over it, right? Very practical situation in the church. 
But there's a, there's a telling truth here at the end of this when he's addressing it. He says, look, now concerning this argument you're having, you need to understand something. Knowledge puffs up. What did he mean by knowledge? He said, those of you who have the revelation that Jesus died for your sins and shed his blood for your sins and that you're redeemed and that whatever you put your hand to prospers and whatever you touch is redeemed, he said, that knowledge is a blessing to you. But if somebody doesn't have that revelation yet, if they haven't grown or matured or gotten that particular truth about their Christian walk yet, and you try to put it off on them, knowledge just puffs you, puffs you up. It don't help them, right? It goes on to say, but love will build up. And so what he's saying is this. He's saying, don't be, because how many realize as believers, we may not do that about meat sacrificed to idols, but we do that all the time, right? Well, look at them doing that. I'd never do that. That ain't right. Judging people for what they do that we wouldn't do, right? But I want you to think about the motive behind that in the first place. The motive behind that in the first place is, well, I'm right and they're wrong, right? Very arrogant, condescending, sacrilegious attitude. Believers do this all the time. My way's the right way and your way is the wrong way. Not only believers do this, but we do this in the world. I mean, you can see it all over social media, right? You can see it in politics. My way's right and your way's wrong. And it doesn't help, it doesn't build up, it's divisive, it, te it, divisive, it tears things down. Love doesn't have this attitude. That's a prideful, arrogant attitude, right? And how many realize just because you may think you're morally right and point the finger of blame at somebody that you think is morally wrong, don't make it right to still judge them, right? We see this all the time. I mean, we're going to preach to the choir this morning. Is that okay? You know what I mean by that, right? You're the one sitting here, right? All of us that have our political viewpoints and love to point the finger. How I many of you realize the Bible doesn't tell us to criticize our president? It tells us to pray for our president. That went over like a lead balloon. It doesn't. And it don't matter whether you agree with him or whether you don't. You pointing a finger at him and criticizing him and shooting him down, knowledge puffs up. You think you know better than him. I don't know what that man's dealing with, but what I do know is God says pray for those in authority instead of criticizing those in authority. We might get a lot more done if we did that. Amen. Well, I can pray for my president when my party's in office, but when my party ain't in office, I'm going to shoot them all, Right? See, that's the wrong attitude. Knowledge puffs up. It makes you arrogant. It makes you mean. It makes you ugly. It makes you condescending. They're not as informed as I am. They're not as smart as I am. They don't see things. And all of a sudden, we become this ugly, prideful thing that God never desired us to be. Paul was saying that love will leave the correction. Listen to this. This is important. Love will leave the correction and judgment of people's lifestyles and behaviors to God as we seek to love them right? It ain't your job to correct someone. Now, I'm going to get to it. Some people say, oh yeah, there's scripture, but I'm going to get to it. It ain't your job to be the Holy Spirit in someone else's life. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Verse 2, the man who thinks he knows something does not, know, does not yet know as he ought to know, right? See, a person says, well, I know better than you know. You don't know as you ought to know. Because I'll tell you something, there have been plenty of times I thought I knew better than somebody. I lived a little while and realized I didn't know anything at all. You'd be better off shutting up, minding your own business, loving them, and praying for them. Amen. 
Verse 11, the weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Just because you know better than somebody and you judge them, what it says is that judgment you cast upon them is destructive to them. It isn't helpful to them. How many of you ever had a strong-willed kid you tried to raise? How many have, are through that period now or, or, or you're close to through that period now and you realize something? The harder you push them, the more they run. You ever realize that? Oh, you wish you could fix it. You wish you could wrangle them in. You wish you could make them do what you want them to do, right? But the more you push them, the harder they run. That's, that's, just, a, that's just experience talking, right? And what that verse is saying is this. It's saying when you take a position of, I, how many of you realize as a, as a young child, as a young child, right? You know, there's something, by the way, can I do a little bit of parenting talk this morning, although I'm not the best one in the world for that? Young kids, uh, their brain functions differently than a teenager, if you don't realize that. Uh, elementary age kids and younger, uh, they are, they are, their mind is geared towards obey a command, right? So that's why when you're raising your young children, tell them what to do and demand that they do it, right? But as a teenager begins to develop their own mind of thinking, there's chemical wash that takes place in their brain that causes them to begin to reason and understand, right? And you have to manage those children differently than you do a child, you have to manage them in a consultative way, as opposed, and especially if you've got a strong will to them, because if you don't, what you wind up doing is their sense of reasoning will run them away from you because they don't want to be controlled. How many realize you don't want to be controlled either? Right? So what we have to do is learn to not let our knowledge, and well, I've lived longer than you, and I know better. How many of you realize that don't do no good if somebody thinks they know everything? It, it don't do no good. And that's the same thing, I'm, that's talking about kids, but how many of in the world around us? There are tons of people who think they figured it out, but they don't know the light and the truth of God's word. And it's in our place to tell them, I know better than you, you're stupid, you don't know better. Condescendingly telling them how dumb they are and how wrong they are and how sinful they are, right? It says, the mean who think he knows something does not know yet as he ought to know. The weaker brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Notice this, when you sin against your brothers in this way. So how many realize doing this is sin? <laughs> it ain't just something you shouldn't do, it's sinful. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Whoo, that's strong. How many of you realize... Christ was not Jesus' last name. How many of you realize that? A lot of people talk about him like Jesus Christ, like, like, like Tommy Feigert, like Christ was his last name. Actually, I'm going to give you a really good chunk, and you may want to go back and read the whole New Testament again in light of this word. The word Christ means the anointed or anointing one, right? So every time you see Jesus Christ, it's referring to Jesus, the anointed one, right? So what this verse says here is, is when you, when you choose to sin against your brother, when you choose to tell him, look, that ain't right, you need to be doing this. How many of you realize even in marriages we do that, right, all the time? Why ain't you picking up your laundry? Why ain't you doing the dishes? Why do you trip that blah, 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 Amen. When you choose to do that, what that verse actually says, if they're a believer, you're sinning against Christ. You're sinning against the anointing. You're sinning against the anointed one, right? 
So it's not saying necessarily, very specifically, it's not saying you're sinning against Jesus. It's saying you're sinning against the anointing. Who's the anointing? The Holy Spirit. What you're doing is you're taking the place of the Holy Spirit in their life. You're saying, I'm now God in your life, and I'm going to tell you how you should live your life. Right? You're taking the place of the Holy Spirit. You're sinning against him. You know, there was a time in the Old Testament where Saul did that. He tried to step into an office that he hadn't been called to step into. And when he stepped into that office, it looked like he was doing a good thing. He sacrificed for an entire army. And he stepped in an office he hadn't been called to, and it was actually destructive to his life. And it was destructive for Israel. And he didn't realize it, right? So when we step into offices we're not supposed to be in, what winds up happening is we're actually uh, trying to play God in people's lives. And how many realize you ain't God? Amen? I won't have you say that to your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say, I ain't God. So if you're not God, it's, you're not, it's not your place to be the anointing in their life. Notice there is an anointing every believer has. 1 Corinthians, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 27. It says, and as for you, the anointing you received from him. So the anointing you received from him, the anointing you received from him. So there's two different things there, right? There's an anointing and there's him, Right? Who's the him? The him is God the Father and and, and Jesus. You received an anointing from them. When you got born again, you received an anointing. When you got filled with the Holy Spirit, you got a double dose of that anointing, right? So the anointing, the Holy Spirit that you receive from God the Father and Jesus remains in you. So if you're a believer, here's the good news this morning. If you're a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The one that raised Christ from the dead. The one that shook the gates of death and hell. The one who drove out sickness and disease through the hands of Jesus and Paul and Peter and John. How many realize that Holy Spirit lives in you? That's good news. But notice this. And you do not need anyone to teach you. (laughs) Well, why am I standing up here teaching you? Let me tell you why. Because God has given apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the edifying and building of the body of Christ. There is a place for sitting under a called ministry gift to teach the the gospel to you, right? But what he's saying there is, is he's saying, you got a Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, and he knows all things, and you ain't got to have somebody. I mean, I got to tell you, I have had countless counseling sessions. Many times people come to sit down with me, and they want to have counseling sessions. And I'll tell you, this is my mindset if they're a believer. When, I, when they walk in the door, my mindset, they don't know it. Now you know it. <laughs> so you may not call me as often, I don't know. <laughs> is this, they already know their answer. Most of us already know the answer of what we should be doing. We just want someone to validate it. When the Holy Spirit on the inside of us has already told you, the inkling on the inside, that leading on the inside, says, nah, this is the way you need to go. And sometimes it's not loud. Sometimes it's a still, small voice. But we need to learn to listen. And that's what this verse is saying. It says, we have a Holy Spirit on the inside of us, and you don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit... Just as it is taught you, remain in him. So what that says is, is God has placed the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to teach us, to lead us, to guide us. Now certainly there are ministry gifts to teach us from the pulpit and share with us the word of God. That's clearly laid out in the scripture. But what this is talking about is, is in your personal life, you you don't have to have someone telling you how to live your life. If you'll be sensitive to the word of God that's been placed on the inside of you, it'll lead. And some people say, well, what if they don't know the word of God? Then trust the Holy Spirit to get the word of God to them. 
Amen. Amen. God brought you to the place you are today, and you're doing pretty good. So why not let God do that with others instead of being critical of them and correcting them and trying to be the Holy Spirit to anyone else? This applies to uh, 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 other believers uh, that have even directly hurt us. You ever been hurt by somebody and want to have a conversation with them about it? Y'all still awake this morning? You ever been hurt by somebody and want to have a conversation with them about it? I will, I, will, I will venture to bet this, I'm not a betting man, but I would venture to bet this, more often than not, having the conversation about it didn't turn out the way you had hoped it would have turned out, did it? Why? I mean, you, you conjured and you planned, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to say this and we're going to talk about it and it's going to go this way and it's going to turn out great and it just blows up in your face when you do it. Why? Because you're trying to be the Holy Spirit. You're trying to tell them how they need to fix themselves, how they need to change themselves and the way they interact with you. When we do that, we're actually saying... I know how you should be living, and you need to do it my way. Some would say, well, yeah, but doesn't the Scripture give place for us at times if someone offends us to go have a conversation? Well, let's look at it. Let's look at it, because i got to tell you, for years, I know people who have used this Scripture to constantly point out the offenses of others in a biblical manner. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, I'm going to read the whole context because it's going to seem like point blank. He's saying, if somebody does you wrong, go talk to them. It says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if, you will, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be, like, be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth as concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for my father, by my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst of them. That sounds like he's saying when a person does wrong, you need to go tell them first of all privately that they've offended you, that they've hurt you, they've done you wrong. And if they don't get it right, then take them to somebody else with you. And sit down with them and say, hey, look, you made a mistake. You did me wrong. And I got somebody here as a witness to it. And if they don't do that, bring them in front of the church and just really embarrass them and really put it out there for them like the woman caught in adultery, right, that was brought before Jesus. How many of you realize for the last five weeks we've been learning about that love covers a multitude of sin? Love forgives. Love buries. Love doesn't regard offenses. So is Jesus telling us here to do the exact opposite of that, to acknowledge the offense, to acknowledge when somebody does us wrong, to go tell them when they did us wrong? Is that what Jesus is saying? The complete opposite of what we've been learning and what we've seen in clearly in Scripture. I don't believe he's saying that. That word against is an interesting word. Matter of fact, in some, some translations of this verse, they don't even say if your brother sins against you. It just says if your brother sins. But that word against you is actually in the original Greek. Notice there, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you. So what does that against you mean? That word against, if you look it up, it's often, and just as often uh, translated as amongst you or in your midst. See, what that verse is really saying is, is it's the same spirit we find in Galatians chapter 6 that we're going to read in a minute. If you see someone stumble and fall into sin and it's visible to you and it's in your midst. So here, here we are, we're a body of believers. How many realize we love each other, Right? He's not talking about if somebody does something that ticks you off. 
He's not talking about somebody does something that irritates you. Look at your neighbor and say, just be big and get over that. Look at your other neighbor and say, don't be petty. Love is not petty. Matter of fact, if we read in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not easily offended. It's not touchy. Well, you didn't do that the way I would have done that, so let me talk to you about it because you've offended me and Jesus told me to come to you if you offended me. How many of you heard church members do that before? I got to tell you, nobody here, right? Nobody here years ago. We had a church member, I mean, all the time, all the time. I mean, monthly, they'd come to me and say, you know, you did this and this sort of offended me. So the scripture tells me to come and, and say something to you. So I'm coming to say something to you. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. We love you. But I got to tell you, they're not here now, right? That person was such a pain in the neck. So, I didn't feel love from them. I felt judgment and condescension, right? And that's not love. See, what Jesus was saying here was, this isn't talking about you being offended. As a matter of fact, how do I know that? Because if you look at the verses prior to this, the very verses prior to this, in the same breath he said all this, he said the kingdom of heaven is like a shepherd who has 100 sheep and he lost one and 99 of them are doing right. And that shepherd goes after that one that is lost to tell him he's wrong? To tell him he messed up? No, he went after that one that was lost and picked him up and carried him back to the sheep. What he's talking about here is not an attitude of judgment and condescension and to tell people how much they offended you. What this verse of scripture is talking about is, is if you see somebody in your midst, especially, I mean, we need to love each other. If you see somebody fall down and they're hurting in your midst, go to them. Let them know, right? Hey, I love you. I'm care I care for you. You didn't offend me. I love you. I ain't judging you. I've messed up myself. You don't owe me nothing. But I love you. And this, this could be hurtful, right? And if they don't hear you, go back with somebody else with the attitude of I want to restore you. Not I want you to validate that you did me wrong and apologize for it. God doesn't call us to live lives that way. We see it in Galatians chapter 6. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves also that you may not be tempted. So what's he saying there? He's saying our attitude and what Jesus was talking about in Matthew is somebody offends, somebody does something wrong and it's in your midst and you see it, you should care enough about them to go to them and say, hey, you okay? Not go to them and say, you did that wrong and you should be doing that because that's going to hurt you. That's going to hurt other people. That's wrong. You did that wrong and that, that offended me and I, and I need to be justified by what you did. You need to tell me you're sorry. No, what that verse is saying is we need to restore people. Does that mean there's never a place for correction in our relationships and in the body of Christ? No, that does. It, there's certainly a place for that. But as we said earlier, the Bible says scripture is given for, do, for doctrine and and edification, and correction, and reproof, right? Well, how do we get that? Well, how can they get that correction and proof if I don't bring it to them and throw it on them and slap them with them and hit them with it, you know? Because that's sort of the attitude. Let me tell you how correction takes place through Scripture by what's taking place this morning. He's given evangelists, pastors, prophets, apostles, and teachers to teach the Word of God I ain't pointing nobody out, right? If you ain't walking in love this morning, I didn't point you out and say, you ain't walking in love, you need to fix that because I'm better than you. I ain't doing that, right? See, he's given the declaration of God's word in our lives and the word of God for us to digest it and read it ourselves to bring correction. What about my personal relationships? Does that mean that I just, I just don't ever have a situation where we work on stuff and fix stuff? 
Well, let me preface it by saying this. What would happen, let me just ask you, what would happen in your relationships if you just didn't take offense to anything? I'm going to let that set for a minute. What would happen in your relationships if you just didn't take offense to anything? If you just said, I'm just going to forgive them and get over it. Instead of going to them and saying, you need to fix this because that's offending me, right? What would happen if you just did that? You know, Delisa's grandmother, we went and saw her the other day and somebody asked us this question. She asked us this question. She said, have y'all ever had a fight? Y'all ready for this? This is no lie. I've never had a fight with my wife, and she's never had a fight with me. So how do you pull that off? Let me tell you how you pull that off. Two people walk in love and say, it's not that big a deal. I'm just going to let it go. But I didn't get myself taking, who cares? What, what would happen if we all lived that way? <laughs> what would happen, Right? See, love doesn't criticize and shoot down. Love doesn't judge and point out the faults in others. Now, does that mean we haven't had opportunities for me and her to, to, to work on each other? Absolutely. But we do it in a mindset of, you know, I've talked about this often. It's a very good practice. There will be situations where we go sit down and we'll ask each other, how am I doing? And the intent is I've opened up my heart and said, tell me where I can do better for you. And you know what? There are times where she'll tell me where I can do better for her. And then she'll ask the question and I'll say nothing because she's perfect and she don't need to change anything. <laughs> but, but the point is this. There are certainly opportunities to work on relationships, but if you're doing it from a condescending, pointing the finger, you ain't right, you got to do it my way, you ain't meeting my needs, you ain't satisfying me, you ain't helping me, it ain't going to work. Knowledge built, tears down, but love builds up. Amen? And so just remember this, remember this. This is, this is one of the best things the Holy Spirit ever spoke to my heart. I've taught my kids this. The worst advice that can be given is the advice that hasn't been asked for. <laughs> the worst advice that can be given is the advice that hasn't been asked for why because a person's not prepared in their heart to receive it when they don't ask for it you know a lot of times people come to me and they'll ask for advice about something and I'll ask them point blank do you really want my opinion or you just want me to hear what you have to say because if you don't want my opinion then don't ask me right but if you're prepared to hear the truth, then I'll certainly speak into your life and I'll be happy to do the best I can. I'm not, you know, perfect, but I'll do the best I can with the knowledge I have to try to help you, right? So, so wh why did I say that? Because God has not called us to give advice to people who have not asked for it. He hasn't called us to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives. He hasn't called us to be the corrective force in people's lives. They have an anointing from the Holy One, and He can do that. Does that mean we stand by and just let people do whatever they want to do? It means we forgive them, we walk in love. When it's people we have responsibility for, we find opportunities where they open our heart to us to receive it. But i got to tell you, as your children grow older, I'll just put it out there, as your children grow older and older and older, you've got to learn to let them go. You've got to learn to let them go and believe that the Holy Spirit that you exposed them to when you were bringing them up is big enough to take better care of them than you can. Amen? Amen. Now, set all that to get to this. We've got a few minutes left. 
What I really want to get to is this, because how many of you realize that's all what we shouldn't do, right? But one of the things I really like to try to do when I'm teaching on how we live our lives is not what we should do, but what we should do. Because if you'll focus on what you should do and what you shouldn't do, then you'll do what you should do instead of what you shouldn't do, right? But if you focus on what you shouldn't do instead of what you should do, then you'll do what you shouldn't do because you're focusing on what you shouldn't do. Got it? I, can't, I couldn't if I tried. I, I didn't even plan on saying that. So what I want to do is I want to talk about then what should we do instead of cutting people down, judging people, correcting people, being petty, always pointing out people's wrongs instead of just being big enough to get over it. What should we do? We should seek to build others up. That verse of scripture says love builds up, right? We should be people that when we see a wrong in a person, the first thing we do is say, I'm not going to, I'm going to forgive them for the wrong. I'm going to find something good about them. I'm going to find something good in them. And I'm going to focus on that. And I'm going to praise that. And I'm going to talk about that. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do my best to let that love in me build up the good in them instead of the, you know, other stuff to tear down the bad in them, right? Romans chapter 15 says, so, so those of us who have strong faith must be patient with the weakness of those whose faith is not strong. Right? So can I be a little sarcastic? For those of you who think you know everything, if you do know everything, then just be patient with everybody who doesn't. <laughs> I think what you'll find out to be true, the more patient you are with those who don't, you'll find out you didn't know as much as you thought you did, or you didn't have all the picture, you didn't know everything, you didn't know it all, right? So those of us who have a strong faith must be patient with the weakness of those whose faith is not strong. We must not think only of ourselves. We should be concerned about our neighbor and the good things that will build his faith. Christ did not think only on himself, rather, as the scripture says, the insults. I want you to notice this. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So what's that verse saying? That verse is saying, don't insult other people. Build them up. Why? Because every insult that could ever be hurled at you or anybody else, Christ bore on his cross. And when you choose to judge someone else and speak against them and talk against them, you're pulling off the cross what Christ paid for, and you're telling them they need to pay for it a second time. See, we're not called to judge other people. We're called to build them up. We're called to build their faith up. When we harp on shortcomings of others, we're taking off of the cross what Jesus nailed there. But verse, four says, be concerned, but verse 2 says, be concerned about the good things that will build his faith. Loving edification and celebrating the greatness in others and the goodness in others and the great things they've done and the, the positive things in their life, that's what builds people up. This place here does not need to be a place of condescension that judges the world for all of its sins. This place needs to be a place that celebrates the good in others and declares the truth so that truth can change the bad by the Holy Spirit within them instead of us trying to do it for them. We need to find the good in other people and celebrate to the end that it inspires them and builds their faith. You know, I've shared this multiple times about my life as I was growing up. You know, I was born again at five years old. I was filled with the Holy Spirit at 12. But somewhere along the way in my high school days, I got a little off track, and I wasn't living the way a believer should live. And I was going out, and my mom, every time I'd walk out the door, my mom, God bless her heart, I can't, if you hear now, I hug her neck for it. 
Every time I walked out the door, her probably worried that I was going to do something I shouldn't do. She'd just look at me and smile and say, you're a good boy, Tommy. That's it. It wasn't don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, because she probably thought in her mind I might be doing that, right? But she just kept saying, you're a good boy, Tommy. I know what's in you. You're a good boy, Tommy. And I couldn't get away from it. The celebration of the good boy in me brought me back to the good boy I was supposed to be one day at some point in my future from that time point forward. So the point is this, is that we are called to celebrate the good in others, not harp on the bad. How, do you realize that's the way God treats us? He tells us who we are even when we're not living up to the expectation and the truth of who he says we are. He says this morning, you are holy. Whether you've dipped your toe or your whole body in a bucket of sin, he says because of the blood of Jesus, you are holy. And that image, see, what happens is in bully pulpits across America, we don't tell people they're holy. We tell them they're sinners saved by grace, and they live up to the expectation. <laughs> but, man, if we would more often tell people, you're holy, you're righteous, you're, man, that's, we'll live up to that. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. Not only calls holy, he calls us righteous. He calls us free from sin. He says, you have been made free from sin. Well, I just said last night, you're free from it. You're free from it. I'm going to celebrate the fact that you're free from it, not that, you went and, I'm not, not that you went and did it, right? You've been made more than a conqueror, an overcomer, a winner, victorious. You may not feel like it. That's who he says you are. Why? Because if you'll embrace the image of who he says, if you'll let him celebrate what he's placed in you, it'll cause you to rise up and be that very thing. And so we're called to be people that speak blessing and edification and celebration into their life. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 25 says, like cold water to a weary soul is good news. I don't know about you, but I don't need people typically to tell me when I'm wrong because I know when I'm wrong, and I'm wrong a lot. If people saw what went on between our two ears all the time, we're constantly fighting the battle of you're wrong, you're not worthy, you're not measure up. That's a battle the devil just constantly and thoughts you always deal with, Right? What people need to hear in the midst of all that crap they're hearing is that God loves you. He paid for you. He sees you as holy. He, he cares about you. He calls you a winner. Why? Because that will gravitate and cause them to want to come to the light instead of run from the pointing finger. Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 12 says, Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, seek to excel in gifts, notice this, that build up the church. Seek to excel in gifts that build people up. Musicians, you can go ahead and come. I want you just to hear a couple of verses that encourage us to not point out the wrong in others, but seek to build others up. Some of these are talking about naturally. Some of these are talking about spiritually. It says, let no man seek his own, but every, ma every man another's wealth. How many of you realize wealth isn't just money, Right? Wealth is a, is, a, is a wholeness of being, and so we should seek the wellness of others. We should seek the things that edify them and build them up. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 33, even as I, I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the, that the, but the profit of many. He says we need to do things that seeks to build others up. Philippians 2, 4, each of you should not look on your own interest, but also on the interest of others. We should seek to build others up instead of arguing our point. Amen? Amen. 
Proverbs chapter 11, we'll close with this. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The beauty of this kind of lifestyle is this, is if I will build these others up, it will actually in turn edify and build me up. Amen? Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11, encourage one another and build each other up. Man, we should be celebrating the great things. Every time a person shows up, we should be looking, what, what can I find good about them? What can I find good about them? Every time somebody walks in the door, we shouldn't be looking at, well, look what they wore today. We should be looking for the good. Where's the good? Where's the good I can celebrate in them? Where's the way I can praise them? Where's the way I can speak into them? Where's the way I can edify them? Where's the way I can build them up? We want to be that type of church. Why? Because we want to be a soft place for people to land. I don't know a better way to put it. I want a lost person that's living like, uh, I mean, 100 miles an hour for the devil. To be comfortable enough to walk in this place to understand that we love you and we're, we have sinned in our past and that there is a better way to live. See, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. We're not going to just justify and acknowledge that it's okay to live that way, but we're going to say, man, we love you, we've been there, but man, there is a way to walk that is the way to life and happiness and soundness. And you are welcome here because we've been where you are. And you know what, is it to, of a truth, Spiritually, we are right with God, but we're still working it out. All of us are. Amen? Just, so speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you all will be together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. I know you're already doing this. Just keep on doing it. Amen? And find something good to say about people today. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me. Father, done my best to give my heart today and share the truth that love builds people up. It doesn't tear them down. Love forgives and doesn't acknowledge hurts and wrongs. But man, when it sees somebody hurting and faltering and failing, it runs to them and says, I love you. I've been there. I've done that. Can I help you in any way? Let us be those kinds of people. Let us be a light of who Jesus was to the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, look up here at me, because I didn't share this, but I think it'll help you. You know, in that story, Jesus said, if they won't listen to the church, you know, he said, go to them. If you see somebody offended and you ask one, then you go tell two, then go tell the church. And it says, if they won't listen to the church, treat them as a heathen and a tax collector. A lot of people think that means kick them out of the church. How did Jesus treat the heathen and the tax collectors? He's the one he ran, they're, they're the ones he ran to. Those are the ones he loved. <laughs> It was the self-righteous ones he didn't want nothing to do with. See, that ver once again, that, that is not talking about being a judgmental believer. It's talking about, man, there are lost people everywhere that need to know that God loves them, that we love them. <laughs> that Jesus, even if you're a heathen and a tax collector, <laughs> right? He loves you. And he's got a way of life for you that can make you so, so, so satisfied. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads. Father, thank you so much for each person here. Thank you for every, sound, every person sitting under my voice here that would listen to this online, that they would grasp the spirit of this. Oh, that we would not be petty people, easily offended, but we would love, care for others, speak blessing and celebration into their life. 
you're here this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, and maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, but you realize how much he loves you, and you're at a place where people love you, and you want to make that commitment to him, would you just raise your hand right now and say, yes, that's me. I need to make that commitment for the very first time. Anyone at all? Amen. I'm just going to follow the Holy Spirit. I believe that everybody here is where in a good spot right now. If you do need prayer at the end of the service, there'll be prayer partners right up here over on the right. Just come up and see them. They'll join hands with you, agree with you in prayer about a specific need. But let me pray a prayer blessing over you. Father, thank you for each person here. You love them. You care about them. Thank you that you call them blessed, holy, righteous, winners, victorious, forgiven. That's what you call them. So may they see themselves as you do. May they know that we, each one of us around them, see them that way. We celebrate the Jesus in them. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for your angels camped about them, keeping them safe and protected, that as they go their way, that no harm will come nigh them, and you'll bring them back to worship with us again. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Well, you can be blessed. Have a great day. We love you. God bless you. If you have a need, prayer partners are right over here at the front. And we will see you hopefully Wednesday night. God bless. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.